sponsored by CuriosityStream, now bundled with my streaming video service, Nebula. Okay, I've done a bunch of videos recently about the iPhone SE. Subscribe and you won't miss any of them. But there's another new iPhone coming this year on the exact opposite end of the spectrum. Kinda. I'm talking about the iPhone 12, or whatever Apple decides to call the 2020 flagships. And there are just a metric ton of rumors going around about it already, from the obvious to the absurd. So let's break it all down. I'm Rene Ritchie, and this is the iPhone 12. The iPhone 4 is probably my favorite iPhone design ever, phone design ever, with the possible sentimental exception of the original. But yeah, the iPhone 4. I'm all about it. It was still rounded, but also squared off. Steel, but also more glass than ever. Still Apple, but with strong hints of Leica and Braun. Launched in 2010, it was probably the most singularly impressive object Johnny Ives' team at Apple ever designed. Two years later, Apple ditched the steel and back glass and evolved the design into the iPhone 5, and eventually iPhone 5S and SE, aluminum unibodies, which became almost as iconic. And then it all just disappeared, like Kaiser Sose into smoother curves for half a decade. But in 2017, the steel and glass sandwich returned with the iPhone X. Then in 2018, the squared off aluminum unibodies came back with the iPad Pro. And now, now, we're finally rumored to be going all the way back to that iPhone 4 style design with the iPhone 12, just with a fresh shave and haircut. Now, yes, I know, some people just don't like the harder edges and feel like they just cut into their hands, but others like them and feel like they stay in their hands even better. So let me know which particular side of that argument you fall into in the comments. Same with the colors. Last year, the iPhone 11 swapped out blue for lavender and coral for lime green. This year, blue and orange might make a comeback. Likewise, last year we got the very Leica-style midnight green on the Pro models. This year, we could see midnight blue. Personally though, I'm still lusting after some of those Samsung and Huawei style auroras and ombres. Let me know what you wanna see. There's also a rumor that the notch might get smaller by virtue of the earpiece moving from in between the true depth sensors to above them. I mean, intellectually, I hate the notch with a seething passion. Practically, I barely notice it anymore. It provides for more usable screen space than a forehead and doesn't have the potential for mechanical failure like them choochers what raise and lower cameras. For the last couple of years, one of the things that has bifurcated the base model iPhones from the ultra premium versions has been screen technology. iPhone XR and iPhone 11 are LCD. iPhone XS and iPhone 11 Pro are OLED. But rumor has it this year, all four upcoming iPhone 12 models will be coming with OLED. Yeah, all four, because unlike previous years where we got one baseline and two premiums, small and large, this time we're supposed to be getting two baselines, small and medium, to go along with two premiums, medium and large. iPhone 12 at 5.4 and 6.1 inches, and iPhone 12 Pro at 6.1 and 6.7 inches. So the two medium ones will not only be identical in size to each other, but to the current iPhone 10R and 11. The smaller baseline will be smaller than the current iPhone 10, 10S, and 11 Pro. And the bigger Pro will be bigger than the current 10S Pro Max and 11 Pro Max. The smallest size will be good news for people who want a modern small iPhone flagship, albeit not a full-on Pro version. The biggest good news for those who've always preferred their phones to be tiny tablets. I personally like the wider range as well. As markets mature, it becomes critical to segment them. What Apple might do to keep the divide between baseline and Pro iPhone 12s though, and use up some of the higher budget that comes with the Pros, is finally bring 120 hertz refresh rates to the iPhone. 
Apple debuted the technology with ProMotion on the LCD iPads Pro way back in 2017, but the switch to OLED complicated it for the iPhones. Now, we're starting to see better, high-refresh OLED panels hit the market. Some still have problems, like with power draw and dimming, and there have been a bunch of goofy workarounds like lowering resolutions or dropping frame rates, but others seem to be doing really well. Apple won't do high frame rate unless they can do it exactly the way they want to do it, of course, but I'd love to see it. Not just for the smoother scrolling and gaming either, but because 120 is so easily divisible into every other popular frame rate. And that means, yes, we'll finally be able to watch all those HDR movies in proper 24 frames per second, the way nature and Hollywood idiosyncrasies intended. Come at me. There have been off and on, hot and cold, sunny side up and down rumors of Touch ID coming back to the iPhone with either an in-display reader or a power button mounted reader, either this year or next. Apple just added mass detection to the iOS 13.5 beta, so if Face ID can't see the three points of geometry it needs, two eyes and a nose, it'll drop you straight into passcode. But a lot of people wearing masks these days really want Touch ID to come back, even if Yeah, it doesn't work so well with gloves or freshly washed hands. For years, I've been dreaming of multi-biometrics where the device just picks up face, touch, voice, gait, everything. But as much as I'd like to see at least Face ID and Touch ID both, I just don't know if we'll see it yet. Another new iPhone generation means another new custom Apple A-series chipset generation to drive it. In this case, an A14. Bionic? Would they use Bionic four years in a row? Does Trionic even make any sense? It'll supposedly be fabbed on Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing's new 5 nanometer process, which means it could perform just as well at a smaller size with less heat and power draw, or even better at the same size heat and power draw, or fall somewhere in between. Other than that, it's probably safe to assume it'll have a bunch of high-efficiency cores, a couple of high-performance cores, a bunch of custom graphics cores, an even better neural engine, an accelerator and controller box out the wazoo. And that's a technical term, yeah. And it should, again, be the same chip and same performance efficiency across the iPhone 12 lineup, which means, again, the best performance in the industry across the lineup. We just got 802.11ax Wi-Fi 6 in the iPhone 11, but there are some reports it could go to 802.11ay. Is that even Wi-Fi 7? Remember how these new numbers were going to simplify things for us? Anyway, also cellular 5G, which fine. I mean, the people who complained about the lack of 5G last year look even sillier now than they did then. But Apple and Qualcomm have kissed and made up. And that means not only better modems for everyone, but 5G modems for the who knows how many will actually be able to use them come this fall. The baseline iPhone 12 will apparently support low and mid-band 5G, which is great. Sub-6 is around 20% faster than LTE, but the additional capacity should mean people who've suffered with little or no LTE coverage should finally get some decent coverage, which is huge, or will be, as it rolls out. The iPhone 12 Pro, at least, in markets like the US, Canada, UK, Japan, and Australia, will also apparently support high-band 5G, aka millimeter wave, which I still don't think is a real thing. Not unless you're literally nesting on top of one of the antenna arrays. Because if you take a step or turn around or it rains or whatever, you'll probably just drop back to LTE. Apple will supposedly still be using their own antennas, something they've done for years. Remember the iPhone 4? And possibly their own radio frequency front end as well, simply due to the time constraints. We'll have to wait and see. Same with how well Apple and Qualcomm can preserve battery life and, of course, how it affects pricing. 
Taking all that into consideration, let me know in the comments just how much 5G matters to you personally now and how much you think it'll matter to you come this fall. Now, I'd love to see USB-C on the iPhones Pro for the exact same reason Apple switched to USB-C on the iPads Pro. But alas, there are just no reliable reports of that happening. Apple stuck with the old dock connector for 10 years, and it looks like they'll be sticking with the lightning connector for 10 years as well, at least until the iPhone goes mostly portless and wireless in 2022. Now, yeah, that's bad news for nerds like me who just want one cable to rule them all the things, but it's good news for everyone else in the world who, if you mess with the lightning accessories they own in any way, will just cut you. More on the whole lightning situation in a future video, but... For now, if you want USB-C, drop a like below and let's show them just how high that number can get. Apple has been emphasizing cameras on the iPhone starting with the 3GS and 4, and it's easy to see why. For most of us, they've become our most important, if not main way to capture the world around us. The baseline iPhone 12 Pro sounds like it'll have the same dual camera setup as the current iPhone 11, only with a much better image signal processor, which, like we just learned with the new iPhone SE, can be a big deal. Maybe better as in bigger optics too. With the iPhone 12 Pro, triple cameras like the 11 Pro and with the better ISP and optics, but also with LiDAR or light detection and ranging. Apple debuted LiDAR with the new iPad Pro back in March. My guess is to get it into the hands of developers early enough that come this fall, there'll be far more apps that make use of it than otherwise would have been possible. I've already done a whole video on why Apple is going all in on LiDAR for the iPhone 12. Hit subscribe so you don't miss stuff like that in the future. But basically, it'll give us a true depth camera system on the back, like we've had on the front since the iPhone 10. And hopefully, along with it, that new AR camera app that's been rumored for years. The ability to scan the room or environment around us, the objects in it, almost instantly, and then augment our reality in really cool ways is just hella cool. Now, I'm not saying we'll be able to do virtual sets like The Mandalorian, nowhere near. But look at all the things we can do now and realize they all had to start somewhere. And if Apple does it right, this is that. But yeah, it'll probably be all Memoji meets Umoji meets all the Moji at first. Also, I'm still really hoping we see Apple do something with Zoom, physical or and computational. Samsung and Huawei have their periscope lenses. Google has their super res zoom, and better zoom remains the biggest deficit in Apple's otherwise really good camera system. Now, I'll get to the pricing, how much all of this is going to cost in a hot second. But first, I want to tell you about my brand new podcast. You can grab the audio version in your favorite podcast player every week, but you can also watch the full-on video versions when they come out, earlier even, on Nebula. Nebula is a streaming video platform I'm building alongside other independent content creators like Polymatter, Wendover, that guy on Half is Interesting who sounds exactly like Wendover, Real Science, Captain Midnight, and many more. And we're building it for things precisely like these podcast episodes, which I love making, but which the YouTube algorithm would just absolutely shred and likely hurt my entire channel at the same time. On Nebula, though, we're free to experiment, to do stuff exactly like this. And now, because Nebula comes bundled with CuriosityStream, you also get access to its thousands of documentaries and series by people like David Attenborough and Chris Hatfield, which, wait for it, is right now offering an absolutely incredible deal. 40% off annual subscriptions and gift cards. And that makes it just $11.99 for the entire year, 12 months, so that you can stay curious, stay entertained, and stay engaged while we're all here just 
staying at home. Go to curiositystream.com slash Rene Ritchie for unlimited access to the world's top documentaries and nonfiction series. And now, Nebula as well. And enter the promo code Rene Ritchie to start your membership completely free for the first 31 days. Thanks, CuriosityStream, and thanks to all of you for your support. Okay, pricing. Last year, Apple pushed the iPhone 11 back down to $699, and this year pushed out the iPhone SE at $499. Going all in on OLED would typically cause a price hike because the panels are just more expensive than LCD. Likewise, other companies have been selling 5G phones for $100 more than the LTE models. My guess was that Apple would do what it's been doing for the last couple of years and use lower prices at the entry level to offset higher prices at the premium end and then pack in even more technology to make the value greater than the price at that premium end. Well, just as I was about to record this, John Prosser dropped his reporting on the iPhone 12 pricing. And he says $649, $749, $999, and $1099 respectively. We'll just have to wait and see if the smaller iPhone 12 pleases small iPhone fans in general. And if the OLED in 5G pleases 6.1-inch iPhone fans, even with the $50 price bump. But... Now, I want to hear what pleases you. Hit like, hit subscribe if you haven't already. Ring that bell gizmo so YouTube will actually tell you when new episodes go live and so that we can hang in the comments together for the first hour and chat about all of this. And let me know, what do you want to see in the iPhone 12 and how much are you willing to pay for it? Thanks for watching. And here, here, one of here's is a full playlist with more super detailed iPhone videos for you.